There are a few texts of Scripture that are appointed for our hearings on Sunday that, that I have to work really hard and dig in really deep to figure out what is being said. Today's lesson from Romans 15 is not one of those lessons. It's plainly obvious what's, what St. Paul is talking about. And there's two words that Paul uses multiple times that just jump right off the page. And I bet you can guess the first one. Let me read this first verse again. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. Hope. And that same word, hope, occurs again three more times, twice in the last verse of our text. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The other word that just jumps right off the page occurs six times in the span of just four verses. Paul says that one of the reasons that Christ came was so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes four Old Testament passages in a row that, that bring out the same point. He says, For this reason I will praise you among the Gentiles. And again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you, all you Gentiles. And again, Isaiah says, there will be a root of Jesse, and he is the one who will rise up to rule the Gentiles. On him the Gentiles will place their hope. Hope and Gentiles. Paul's pretty clear what he's talking about. And that's all great, but what does he mean? Well, Gentiles are everyone who is not a Jew, and I would uh, wager to guess that most likely includes all of us. The Jews were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And at the church in Rome, to whom St. Paul is writing, there had arisen tension between Jews and, and non-Jews, Gentiles. And remember, this is the first century, uh, less than, uh, about less than 30 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and this is shortly after the time when, when the followers of God first started calling themselves Christians. And so here you have these, these first-generation Christians from every background, uh, from all places, from every ethnicity, are coming together in the city of Rome at one place to worship together for the first time. And of course, there's going to be tensions because, because these people have, have different backgrounds, uh, different eating habits, uh, different cultures, different traditions. And the Jews at Rome tended to be pretty legalistic, and they focused on outward things, like the proper foods to eat, the proper day to worship on, uh, what to wear, and, and things like that. And so if someone didn't do these things, well, then how could they possibly be considered a Christian? The Jews considered these Gentiles hopeless. As King Solomon would say, uh, the writer of uh, Song of Songs and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And the church still struggles with these problems still today. The amount of judging that goes on uh, among Christians everywhere during this holiday season is just crazy. 
I, I've heard of pastors being ridiculed and members leaving churches uh, over not singing someone's favorite Christmas hymn uh, one year. Uh, focusing on these outward things. And so what Paul does for the Christians at Rome that we should also hear is that he goes back to what really unites them. Their hope. Not uh, their future. And not their present. Not the, not the different things that they do. Uh, not their different interests or, or favorite things or, or likes. Not their political leanings. Not their social status. Not their ethnicity or their age or the color of their skin. And not their past. Not their backgrounds. Not where they're from. Not their cultures. Now, all of these, every person is going to be different. And, and that's a wonderful thing, to be different, to have different backgrounds, past, and different interests, different presence. But we can tend to make these things the most important thing, these outward things, into the most important thing. And we can use them to divide ourselves from others, considering others hopeless uh, like the Jews in Rome because they do things differently. Or we can use them to separate ourselves from God, believing that our backgrounds and who we are now make us too unworthy, too broken and messed up for even God to save. We can consider ourselves hopeless. We heard in our gospel lesson from Luke 21 about the end of the world, Jesus' second coming, his second advent. And Luke had said that accompanying his second coming would be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. But ironically, though, our Lord does not instruct us to watch for these and look for these signs out in the world. Rather, he instructs us to watch ourselves. So that we aren't, as he says, weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the worries of this life. Or else that day may come on us suddenly. In other words, to not get so caught up with whatever's going on in this life now. Because everything in this world is coming to an end. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture. What Jesus' second coming means for you. Our past and our present are not the most important thing. In fact, St. Paul quotes these Old Testament passages to show how Jesus has redeemed our past and sanctified our present. He says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. If you consider yourself, uh, because of your background or, or present, too unclean or too dirty or, or outside of God's forgiveness, rejoice. God has forgiven your sins. He has declared you righteous and made you a part of his family through baptism. Jesus is the Savior of the entire world, and that includes you. And this wasn't just an afterthought. Paul quotes Isaiah talking about the root of Jesse, meaning Jesus would come from the lineage of David and his father Jesse, from the house of Israel, meaning that he would be a Jew. But he wouldn't just come from Jesse, he would be the root of Jesse. He would be the origin of Jesse and all people. This Messiah, 
is the creator of the world. He's the light of the whole world. And he's going to be the light in the new creation in heaven. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined forth and God will shine forth. And this is our hope. He is coming back to take us to the perfection of beauty in heaven where there is no disunity. And that's what hope is. The steadfast expectation of the good things of God to come. To have hope means we have a future. No matter how bleak or broken our present might be. Our hope is built on nothing less than the word and promises of God. For he has already proven himself trustworthy in what was promised in, in days of old in the Old Testament and that has come to pass in Jesus Christ. The people of the Old Testament looked forward, trusting in the promises of God given through the prophets. And they longed for the Messiah to come and redeem them. They waited with patient endurance for that day to come. They waited with hope, encouraged by the word of the prophets. For the God who is ever faithful, ever faithful to his promises to do what he has said. And so we also, through the encouragement of the Holy Scriptures, the word of the apostles and prophets, have hope. We have a future. Because Jesus, who died and rose again, is coming back. Lift up your heads, your salvation is coming. But more than that, it isn't just that he is coming. It's also that he continues to come even now. Amidst our guilt, amidst our fears, amidst our sorrows, he comes to us. Lift up your heads because your redemption is near. It's among you. He speaks to you in his word. His spirit uh, stirs your heart so that you believe. His absolution presents you to his father as his own dear, immaculate, and holy bride. He comes now in his flesh and he encourages you with his risen body and blood, strengthening your faith, forgiving you sins, your sins, giving you hope, and reminding you of the future that is yours. Our God is a God of hope. He's not just the God who has done great things in the past. He's not just the God who, who gave his son into, the, into death for the forgiveness of our sins. He is the God who is doing great things right now and will continue to do them in the future. And so it is that echoing the Lord's words from today's gospel, you hear me each Sunday commanding you, lift up your hearts. And you respond, we lift them up to the Lord. And what we mean by that is that we want to stop thinking about all that other stuff. However inattentive we've been up to that point in the service, uh, whatever grudges we might be holding, whatever lusts or fantasies we might have been indulging, 
Let us forsake all sin now. Let us repent and, and, and come before the Lord's risen body and blood with awe and joy and thanksgiving. We lift them up to the Lord where they belong, not high in heaven, but to the altar. We lift them up to the altar where he promises to be for us, to cleanse us of our past, to sanctify our present, and to strengthen us for our future. We lift them up there, now, here, to receive him with faith and confidence that his word is true, that he is there for us, and that he truly forgives us all our sins. And in this way, do we truly live in unity and harmony with one another, as St. Paul encourages us to do? Not through outward things, but we are joined together in this holy communion by the partaking of the body given and the blood shed of the one Jesus Christ. And that partaking unites us and makes us one. He has welcomed you to his table despite your past and your past sins against him. And so we are called in the same way to welcome one another despite past sins. It's in this communion that encourages us in a common hope and a common future. And so together with one voice, we encourage one another with the comfort of the scriptures. We have hope. We have a future. We will not be weighed down by, by the things of this world because, because the good things that God has promised are among you even now. So straighten up and lift up your heads. Your redemption is here. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen. Please stand.